This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this evening in Psalm 94. Psalm 94 especially verse 19 of Psalm 94 is the verse we focus on tonight along with Lord's Day 1. Psalm 94. Let's read the Word of God. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show Thyself, Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, The Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pits be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, My foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge. And He shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. With that, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 1. 
What is thy only comfort in life and death? That I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but to belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. And how many things are necessary for thee to know, that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. And third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such a deliverance. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, at the occasion of confession of faith, it is very appropriate for us to consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 1. We ended the Catechism this last or Sunday morning today, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but we, as it were, rushed to the first Lord's Day, Lord's Day 1. But it is very appropriate. That is why we do. It is appropriate because the Reformed creeds and confessions have a significant role in the believer's life, those who make confession of faith say they believe in Jesus Christ as He is revealed in the Scriptures and in the confessions which explain those Scriptures. The articles of the Christian faith taught here in this Christian church, one of which is the Heidelberg Catechism, beloved by those who confess their faith in Jesus. It is appropriate at confession of faith not only because a Reformed Christian confesses the Heidelberg Catechism and the other creeds, but also because in Lord's Day 1 we find that personal, beautiful, experiential confession summing up the Christian faith. Here is one way you could answer the question if it were posed to you. What do you believe? And you could say that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and so on. Here is a summary of the Christian faith. A beautiful confession. And often when we hear Lord's Day 1, we think of it as appropriate at the time of death. And it is. In the time of death, what is our only comfort? We're driven to this confession. I belong to Jesus. 
And yet it is also appropriate for life. Don't forget that. What is thy only comfort in life, first of all, and then death? Young men, towards the beginning of their life, as they set out to live the Christian life, what is your only comfort in this life as you go forth? A life that might be extremely difficult. Or perhaps a life of some ease, some earthly comfort, so-called. What is your only comfort? And you must answer sincerely, I belong to Jesus. Psalm 94 shows us the psalmist, probably David, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of evildoers. And the psalmist experiences the comfort of his soul, surrounded by those who hate him, those who probably have hurt him and probably are ones who once at one time behaved as friends, one time were members of the church with him. He, the psalmist, has been betrayed, has been attacked by evildoers, he calls them. And most of the psalm, as we read, as you notice, shows the psalmist depending on God as the judge, the one who will bring vengeance upon his enemies and ours. David cries out to God for him to judge. The God who hears, the God who sees, the God who knows the thoughts of all. Judge, he prays. Judge. But along with thinking upon and praying to this God as the judge, the psalmist also cries out for mercy. For mercy. Because it must have been in the mind of the psalmist as he thinks upon the God as the judge that he knows this God as the judge knows what is going on in his thoughts, in his heart what he looks at, what he listens to. Along with his persecutors, the psalmist knows he deserves the same judgment. And so we find the psalmist using the word comfort, the comfort he needs. Verse 19, In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts, Delight my soul. That too is a confession of faith about comfort. Comfort in the multitude of thoughts is the theme. Tonight, first, the need for comfort. Second, the truth of that comfort. And finally, the confession of one who is comforted. First, the need for comfort. Everyone needs comfort. Some, of course, insist as though they are so strong that they don't need comfort. And they think it's weak to admit that they need comfort. Some might not even sense the need for comfort, and yet every human soul needs comfort. There are many, many ways to describe the, the, the human need for comfort. 
But the psalmist in Psalm 94 verse 19 describes that need in a, in a beautiful way. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, the psalmist says. That's a description of the human need. The word thoughts there are literally disquietudes. That's the literal meaning of the word. Or disquieting things. They're troubled thoughts and troubled feelings within the heart that makes the heart feel like a, like a small boat in the midst of a stormy sea with winds and waves beating against it, threatening to, turning it up, tur- to turn it upside down. There are disquietudes, the psalmist admits, a multitude of disquietudes within me. That's a description of our need. What specifically are these disquieting thoughts or feelings that the psalmist speaks of? Well, the first thing we can say in description of those thoughts are that they are painful thoughts. They're thoughts of hurt which evildoers have caused him. That's what the whole psalm is about. How long, the psalmist cries, how long will the evildoer continue his persecution and oppression, murdering, boasting, accusing, abusing his power and control? Bringing physical and mental and emotional harm, there is much pain in the psalmist's heart as he faces sins committed against him. Wounds from others. But secondly, the word thoughts or disquietudes, a multitude of them, the psalmist says, can also refer to doubts. Later on, we'll sing from Psalm 200 or Psalter number 253, versification of this psalm. That versification translates the word thoughts here in this text to doubts, amid the doubts that filled my mind. And that's very understandable. Because as one is being hurt and oppressed by others, as sins are committed, especially by those who are supposed to reflect God. A husband, perhaps, who is supposed to reflect Christ. A father, perhaps, who is supposed to reflect God the Father. It is very, very easy for the human soul then to doubt God the Father and Christ the husband. Is He judging me? Does He love me? Doubts of God's goodness. And third, a multitude of thoughts or disquietudes includes anxiety. You see, along with the doubts comes fear and, and worry and all sorts of anxieties. So much so that sometimes the, the brain, the human brain, cannot sort them out or think through them carefully or clearly. And the, word, the words multitude of thoughts or disquietudes describes that. There's so many that crowd in upon the soul. Frenetic thoughts that pop into the mind causing panic. Distracting thoughts. You don't even know how they crept in. It's hard to think through them or breathe through them or pray through them. A multitude of them, the psalmist says. Fourth, sorrow. Depression. Despairing thoughts even. And along with them often anger, bitterness, 
which brings us to sinful thoughts, along with a multitude of thoughts that we have described are sinful thoughts, proud, foolish thoughts. I deserve better than this. Or I should be able to handle this on my own. Why me? I don't deserve this. How is this for my good? Psalm 139 verse 23 uses the same word as our text to refer to such sinful thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Familiar to us, try me and know my thoughts. The psalmist prays, know my thoughts. And then it follows it up with a description of possible thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Wicked thoughts. The most disquieting of thoughts is this. That I myself am wicked. I am guilty. Not for every sin that my accusers point at me and say I'm guilty of. Many of those are false accusations. And yet I am guilty. I'm a sinner too. And I deserve the same judgment as my oppressor. Conscience says that. Many, a multitude of thoughts within me, the psalmist says. And that shows us the need. I need comfort. You need comfort. The child of God does not merely need comfort once in a while. He is in constant need of comfort. Which is the theme and the aim of the catechism. And of God's Word. But part of our need is described this way too. The human tragedy, and we can feel this in our own sinful natures, the human tragedy is that the soul that is surrounded by a multitude of these thoughts tends to seek comfort in, in all the wrong places. It's part of our need. We need to be comforted because we look to come for comfort everywhere else instead of the right place. The Catechism implies that when it asks, why it, what is thy only comfort? Notice the word only. We'll come back again and again to that. It indicates that there is one source of comfort, one place to find comfort, only one. And therefore implies also that there are many other false comforts Wrong sources of comfort. And so, beloved, I remind you again tonight, you need to be reminded of this, that the comfort that you need is not on this earth and of this earth. Comfort is not in comfort food. Comfort is not in southern comfort or any other alcohol for that matter. Comfort is not in your smoke. Comfort is not in your vape. Comfort is not in your video game. Comfort is not losing yourself on the, on the screen or on the internet. Comfort is not found in occupying yourself with more work so as to drown out all those thoughts and disquietudes. Comfort is not found in just letting time go by. Time doesn't heal of itself. Yes, God works in time, but time itself does not heal or bring comfort. The psychologist's ideas of self-esteem and, and forgiving yourself or taking out your anger on other people 
are man-made inventions that don't bring comfort. And as the human being seeks comfort in all the wrong places, he comes to this conclusion, if he's a child of God like Solomon, he tried to find it in all the wrong places. Vanity of vanities. All this vanity and vexation of spirit, meaning of more disquieting thoughts. There are even so many good things here below that we should seek after, but ought not seek after for our comfort. Many seek justice. Justice in this land, justice in the church. And let there be justice, beloved. There must be justice. And we must pursue justice even in the church and bring consequences where that is necessary. Yet at the same time, we must say, even if we find justice and do justly, that is not the source of comfort. Good works, any good work, students trying hard at school, getting good grades, Adults serving well in the church and in our community. Good things. Go forth and do it in thanks. But that is not. Good works are not the source of comfort. Fixing problems. Fixing problems in the church. Resolving schism. Making sure we have precise doctrines. Doing that. Good works like such. Are good. And yet, not the source of comfort. Having a spouse to hold. Receiving healing from a disease. Wanting, desiring, as a couple, to hold in your arms a child. A blessing of God. Good things to desire and pray for. Continue. But remember, comfort is not of these things, of themselves. True comfort is not by changing our outward circumstances, but true comfort is inner strength. From spirit breathe truth. That's a definition of comfort. What is comfort? Inner strength from spirit breathed truth. I get that definition based on the, the Latin and the Greek, but the, the words for comfort in those languages. From the Latin, the word comfort means with strength or strength within. And you can recognize that word as meaning that if you think of the last part of the word of comfort, fort, fort, that means strength. And come, the first part means with or within. Comfort is strength that God infuses within the heart while all the other circumstances continue as difficult as they may be. And then the Greek word for comfort means to come alongside of and call 
to call alongside of. That word explains to us how we receive this inner strength. Someone comes alongside a troubled man who, 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 who's drooping. His shoulders are drooped and his, his, his head is down and he's staring inward and downward, despairing. And, and this person comes alongside him and breathes truth into his ear. And that truth comes into his ear and sinks down into his heart, into his soul. And there is strength within. That's comfort. Even while the troubles continue. The Catechism affirms that comfort is this inner strength derived from spirit to breathe truth. When it refers to comfort as knowledge, question two, how many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Comfort is in spirit, breathe, truth, or knowledge. The Word of God, yes. That which is taken from the inspired Scriptures and spoken to the soul. And the Spirit works with that Word to give that inner strength. He is the comforter, as Jesus calls him. He is that still small voice who speaks to us in the multitude of my thoughts within me. Remember that, beloved. The comfort is not from the changing of my outward circumstances. The comfort His Spirit breathed truth that strengthens me on the inside. Many today refuse to be comforted because their minds are on how I'm comforted only if I can just fix my marriage, I can just fix my church. If I can just fix my family, if I can just fix my child, then I will be comforted. And that's not true. Even though we desire that, we pray for that. Comfort is in the truth. And with the truth in me. Beloved, God actually promises that the outward circumstances will not only be troubling, but might even get worse. One of the key passages about comfort is in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. We read there, the God of all comfort comforteth us in, meaning in the very midst of all of our tribulations. You see how comfort is, it's not the changing, the getting rid of tribulation, but it's Something He puts inside of us while we bear up under the tribulation. And 2 Corinthians 1 continues in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Did you hear that? The promise actually is that our sufferings will abound, increase for the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus. 
And it is while we are abounding in sufferings that God speaks His truth to our soul and causes there to well up within us the strength within. In, the psalmist says in Psalm 94, in the midst of the multitude of my disquietudes, so that even this, while, while my difficult feelings are stirring, He gives a stability within my soul. That's our need, beloved. Comfort is that inner strength received from Spirit, breathed truth. And now we ask, well, what is that truth that He breathes into us? And in short, here is the Spirit-breathed truth that comforts the child of God. It's summed up in Lord's Day 1. And we're not going to go through every, every phrase in Lord's Day 1. The Catechism spends 52 Lord's Days explaining all these truths. But now listen to this, this part especially. Here is the truth the Spirit-breathed truth which God speaks to our souls for inner strength in the very midst of the multitude of disquietudes within me. He says, You are mine. You belong to me. The child of God, by faith, hears the voice of his shepherd and is comforted. I belong. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is everything to me. Even in the multitude of troubles and disquietudes in my life. I belong. That's the truth that comforts. Notice negatively, it's not, it's not this, young people. It's not this, you who live in an independent American society. It's not, I belong to myself. It is not, I am my own. That's not the truth that comforts, even though it, it, it's touted as that which comforts. It's the wisdom of this world. Who owns you? The world asks. And you're supposed to say, no one owns me. No one's the boss of me. I belong to myself. And that independent spirit might well up in us this rebellion that might make us stony and hard so that we think we are stable in the midst of disquietudes, but it's just making us a small stone in the middle of the sea. And what happens to that, children? A small stone in the middle of a Wavy sea, it just sinks right to the bottom. What vexation of spirit. If you are your own, then you are alone. And that brings no comfort. This too is no comfort. And this too is touted by the world. I belong to a certain group of people. The unbelieving world can come to this conclusion, which has, has some truth to it. 
And they say we need each other. We need community. We need to gather together and support each other. And everyone needs the sense of belonging. And so they say take pride in being a member of Boy Scouts, being a member of a union, being a member of a secret organization, being a member of a family, and joining this movement, this party. And this too, we must say, is not our comfort. And we must apply it this way too. Listen carefully. Your comfort is not in belonging to a family with a last name. Bosveld, Schwartz, Kelsbeek, Vink, Heisinger. Your comfort is not in belonging to an organization with a name, Covenant Christian High School or Hope Protestant Reformed Church. Does, does God use means? Yes. Within these groups and organizations? Yes. Don't forsake the means. But what is my comfort? Not belonging to a group, but belonging to Jesus. Belonging to Jesus, who will never leave you nor forsake you even if family with those last names forsake and even if organizations turn and fall away you belong to me Jesus says And that is everything. Why do we belong to Him? First this, He bought you. But with His precious blood, had fully satisfied for all my sins. Your sins deserve the judgment of God. And this is part of His judgment. Your sins deserve hell, yes, but they deserve this, you deserve to be on Satan's side. You deserve to belong to Him. Not only to join Him in hell, but to be willingly under His rule and to serve Him. And to do His bidding. Nothing else. But... Jesus, with His precious blood, hath paid the ransom price when He satisfied God's justice on the cross and fulfilled all righteousness with His obedience. And in that way, He bought you. He purchased you from being Satan's possession to being His possession. You're mine, Jesus says, because I bought you. And secondly, more, Jesus says, you're mine because... You're my friend. I love you. It's more, you see, than no longer being Satan's slaves and now we're Jesus' slaves, servants, and He's our master. It's more than that. 
It is that, but it's more than that. That you belong to Jesus means that He's your friend. In, in fact, that's emphasized by Jesus Christ above the relationship of servant. First, you're my friend, He says. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. John 15, verse 15. That is, He's established a, a friendship, a covenant with you. A close, intimate bond better than the best marriage of this earth. The husband, Jesus Christ, says to you, a member of the church, his bride, you belong to me. As my beloved, my bride. And because, you see, this is a relationship, a friendship that he's talking about when he says you belong to me, he doesn't only say you are mine. I'm not sure whether there's anything more precious than this. I am yours. I am yours. Is there anything more thrilling and comforting than that? The God who is eternal, who is infinite, who is high in the heavens, who is greater than we can even comprehend. This God who is sovereign over all things. This God who is the judge of all the earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This God says, you belong to me. And I to you. And now you can say, my Father, and my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, my refuge, my rock, and my God, this, this is the Spirit-breathed truth that is the comfort of every believer in life and in death, so that in the multitudes of thoughts within me, this comfort delights my soul. I belong to Him and He to me. And because this comfort or this truth is multifaceted, the psalmist puts it in the plural, comforts, comforts delight my soul. It doesn't mean that there's more than one comfort in the sense that there are other comforts or sources of comfort in this earth. We just denied that. But it means that the one comfort of belonging to Jesus includes many other truths joined to this. Many other truths that spring forth from knowing that I belong to Jesus. Because if I belong to Jesus, if I belong to Jesus, though I don't deserve it a second, and I still don't deserve it, if I belong to Jesus, you see, and you belong to Jesus, then He works His Spirit in me to deliver me from all the power of the devil. I have a new heart, a new man on the throne in my heart. The devil can never regain control of me. If I belong to Jesus, then He rules my life, and I am sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him, and I can by His strength serve Him, even though of myself I cannot. If I belong to Jesus, then not a hair can fall from my head. Not one hair. 
Not a single event that happens to me in my life, nor a single event on the other end of the globe can happen except it be for my good. If I belong to Jesus, then death itself can only come in His time and must be for my good. If I belong to Jesus, then He will preserve my soul every step of the way after confession of faith, all the way unto glory, because He who has begun a good work in me will, will perform it until that last day. And no enemy can pluck me out of His hand to whom I belong. If I belong to Jesus, then He sends His Spirit and He assures me. I don't have to go and get assurance for myself. He assures me of eternal life by faith alone, which He gives. When the Spirit breathes His truth into the heart of the child of God, there is an inner strength by His Spirit that strengthens me in the midst of the multitude of thoughts and troubles. So that the child of God is not only comforted, but He rejoices. Notice how the psalmist puts it. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight. They delight my soul. They give joy. Yes, even in the midst of the greatest of sorrows, the Christian can have sorrow and joy in his heart. There's a delight that is a joyful love for my God. Even though He has sovereignly brought His hard hand upon me. The catechism speaks of that as well. Catechism is based squarely on God's Word. Notice question two, that thou enjoying this comfort May us live and die happily, the catechism emphasizes. There's not a stability only, but, but a joy in the Christian who has this strength within, this comfort. It is not a fake artificial smile. It's not a laughter and a giddiness. But it is this. It is... A solemn and yet joyful confession to the praise of God. That's, well, that's how this delight will manifest itself as it has tonight. In the midst and the multitude of thoughts within me, I stand up and I confess I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's everything to me. 
You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. You can take everything away from me. I have Jesus. He can remove my family and my church. No, I won't be discouraged and disappointed because God uses this as His means. And yet I have Jesus. We come back to that. This confession out of a delight of the soul. It's a confession of exclusive comfort. My only comfort. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong unto Jesus. In life, yes. When life is difficult, when life is difficult, when, as God did to Job, He takes away all that I have. Blessed be His name, because He is mine, and I am His. And all this must be subservient to my salvation. My only comfort. What about in a life, life of ease? And that perhaps is even more difficult. In a life of ease, when you have much money, when you have a loving family, when you have a solid church, a true church that you're a member of, when you have plenty, when you have success, a good job, what is your only comfort then? Set not your heart on this life of ease. God takes away and He brings trouble to remind us of that. My only comfort, even in an easy life, is that I belong to Jesus. And then, and only having recognized that in life my only comfort is that I belong to Jesus, then I can recognize this too. In death. In death. The death of my beloved. My own approaching death, which as young as we might be, might be tomorrow. Death of the hand of my persecutors, even. The believer can confess both in life and in death, with body and soul. My only comfort is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you confess that tonight? Yes, you said. Yes, the child of God says, I do. I remember this to close. That confession itself is a wonder work of God. His saving work in you and His gracious work upon your lips so let it be not for your glory that you can say that tonight. But blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, who is the God 
of all comfort. Amen. Let's pray. God, in the multitude of our thoughts within us, Thy comforts delight our soul. Breathe Thy word of truth deep within the soul to strengthen us that we might have a stability amidst the troubles around us and even the multitude of thoughts that threaten us. We confess by the power of grace in us, that in life and in death, our only comfort is this, that we belong to Jesus. Of ourselves, we cannot confess this. Of ourselves, we cannot continue confessing this. We cannot stand a moment, and yet, leaning upon Jesus Christ, we shall do valiantly. So strengthen us by Thy Spirit for the glory of Thy name. In the name of Jesus, to whom we belong. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.